0: There was a a man, which we'll call him Charlie, that's not his real name. Charlie spent most of his life avoiding the subject of death. He really did. I mean, he refused to go to a doctor lest he would give him some sort of a terminal diagnosis. He would not make a will because he felt that it would be a bad omen. Uh, He refused to buy life insurance or burial plot uh, because that would admit his mortality. But around his 70th birthday, a friend led him to the Lord. And from that day on, everything's changed. Everything. The fear of death gave way to confidence and assurance of eternal life in heaven with Jesus. A few years later, he was attending a funeral of a business um, acquaintance, and as he sat in the pew next to a friend, as they were leaving the church, he said to his friend, with great joy in his voice, he said, The next one of these parties they throw, I will be the guest of honor. And he was. Many of us, like Charlie, live our lives in a state of denial of death or fear of death or both. But those of us who know the Lord Jesus Christ, Should never be afraid of death. We know what to expect on the other side. We know, and therefore we anticipate that with great joy, not fear. And today we're going to come to the last in the seven claims of Jesus, I am, which we call the series, There is an I in the I am, where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. So I want you to turn with me, please, to John chapter 11, because Jesus makes this claim not in a vacuum, but he makes it in the middle of a funeral. (laughs) Like all the other claims of Jesus, you have to understand them in context in order to comprehend what they really mean for us today. Context is of utmost importance. The whole atmosphere of John 11 in the little town of Bethany was filled with death and decay and distress. Lazarus, who had been a friend of the Lord Jesus, was buried for four days. His family and friends were in a state of shock. They were in a state of sorrow. They were grieving. And so I want to walk you through this context very quickly. Jesus was in another town, and he gets a word that Lazarus was seriously ill. In fact, he knew that by the time the message came to him, most likely Lazarus was already dead. Like they do in the Middle East, they bury the same day, they do not wait. But Jesus says to the disciples, He uses a spiritual language that the disciples really had a hard time understanding. You know, we Christians do that with people who don't know anything about the Christian faith. We talk what we call Christianese, and we use these big words. And non-believers don't understand what in the world we're talking about. And Jesus had to do that. He used a spiritual language that disciples could not comprehend. They could not understand. In fact, they only understood why he refers to death as sleep after Jesus' resurrection. They begin to understand, ah, that's what he means by sleep. Why? Why is Jesus using this type of spiritual language? I'm going to explain to you in a minute. Because I was thinking of this when I was thought of the man who was walking through the gravesite and seeing all these tombstones and different words here and there. And, and he came across a tombstone, obviously as a believer in the Lord Jesus, and uh, the words read on the tombstone, not dead but sleeping. Now this non-believer looked at this and he couldn't understand this spiritual language, so he says, man, you are not fooling anybody, you're only fooling yourself. They don't understand. That's a Christless mindset. But after Jesus' resurrection, the disciples understood why death is called sleep. Because death is only a temporary separation. Death is not permanent. Uh, Just like going to sleep at night and we tell our loved ones, good night, see you in the morning, that's exactly what's going to happen for the believer when they die. And so Jesus finally said to them, Because they couldn't get it, he said, well, Lazarus is dead. Now, Lazarus and his two sisters, Martha and Mary, lived in Bethany, which is very close to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is where the bad guys are. They want to kill Jesus. And Thomas, honest Thomas, (laughs) blurts it out. He said, we're going to Jerusalem. We're going to die. Let's all go and die. (laughs) Do you know people like that? I mean, the moment they get up, oh, I'm going to die. Jesus waits until the fourth day. Then he goes to Bethany. Now, why the fourth day? Well, Jews had this superstitious thinking. When a person dies, the spirit hovers around the tomb for three days, and then the spirit departs. (laughs) So Jesus waited to make absolutely sure that they know that Lazarus is dead, dead, dead. (laughs) I mean, he was really dead. There are no spirits hovering anywhere. And so he waits. As he comes into town, a word gets to the two sisters, Martha and Mary, that the Lord is on his way. (laughs) Martha, consistent with her personality, consistent with her temperament, she leaves the mourner sitting in the house, and she runs to meet Jesus. These two sisters really lived up to their birth order. Martha's the eldest, Mary's the youngest. Martha, like most firstborn men or women, she was a woman of action. I mean, she was task-oriented. She has to get things done. After all, if she doesn't get it done, nobody's going to do it. Right? You know people like that? Mary was compliant type. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, there is, you see those two temperaments, the two personalities come to the fore at a time when Jesus was there to have a meal with them. But that's a story for another time. Martha runs to Jesus and says to him, and I want to give you a Yusuf translation, Lord, I wish you were here. You could have healed my brother. That's what she was saying. Martha did not believe for a moment that Jesus was going to raise her brother from the dead, not for two seconds. I mean, you would say to me, Michael, how do you know that? Well, it's in the Scripture. I'm not making it up. When Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again, what did she say? I know, I know, in the last day. She did not believe for a moment that her brother was going to rise from the dead. She really didn't. In the last day, I do. Raising Lazarus, her brother, from the dead was the last thing on Martha's mind. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. But how many times have you prayed for something specific and God did not answer it the way you wanted or in the time you wanted? Don't raise your hand. Just answer it to yourself. I know I've been there. How many People who are walking around angry with God. I mean, they're angry with God because He did not give them exactly what they wanted, when they wanted. it. I know that because I've been there few times. A few times. When I prayed earnestly and when I prayed urgently for something that is so important to me, but the Lord did not answer the way I want Him to answer but he gave me something else instead. I know how that feels. I really do. But I am so grateful to the Lord that I lived long enough so I can testify to you and to everybody else who's listening that in every one of those cases... I went back to the Lord and asked for forgiveness. (laughs) I went back to the Lord and thanked Him for not answering my prayers the way I wanted it answered. So what was Martha saying here? Lord, even though my brother is dead, I know that you can heal the grief and the pain and the sorrow that I am feeling right now. The resurrection was the last thing on her mind. Be careful when you pray. As I am growing in my walk with the Lord, as I'm going deeper in my relationship with the Lord, I'm now, just now, after nearly 50 years of walking with Jesus, I'm beginning to learn how to pray. Give me your best not what I want. Give me your best. And beloved, I can testify to you that his best has always been beyond what Martini teeny weeny faith could ever hope for. Be careful when you pray. I know there are many people who pray this way. I know that you have done great things in the past, even in my life. I know you'll do great things in the future. But I'm not expecting anything now. It's a mindset. Be careful when you pray. Don't miss out on today's miracle. Don't miss out on today's blessings. Don't get caught between the past and the future and miss out on the here and now blessing. Don't get caught between the past and the future and miss out on today's blessing. That's what Martha's level of faith was. That's her level of faith. You healed in the past. You're going to raise my brother in the last day in the future. I'm not sure about the here and now. (laughs) I'm not sure about today. Have you been there? I have. But look at the graciousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at his graciousness. Look how gracious he was. As he gently shifts her focus, as he gently moves her focus, he shifts her focus from being caught between the past and the future. He shifts her focus away from being fixated with God's long-term plan. He shifts her focus away from the trap of finding herself and he says to her, one of the greatest I am's. I am the resurrection and the life. He shifts her focus from everything else and places it where? On himself. On himself. Be careful When you pray, don't make even the object of your prayer to be your focus. Don't make even your need to be the object of your prayer. Jesus wants you to shift your focus to himself. (laughs) I am the resurrection and the life, Martha. He who believes in me will never die. Will never die. This is the I in the I Am. Now, beloved, everything that God did in the past, everything that he promised in the future, he can do in the here and now. Amen? I have a question. What is Jesus doing at this very moment in helping Martha shift her focus? He is putting her eyes of faith not on her need, but on Him. Please don't miss this. There's something very important here because twice in this passage Jesus said, He who believes in me, he who believes in me, not he who believes that what I can do for them, not he who believes that they can get out of me what they want, not he who believes that I am the sugar daddy up in the sky. They can come to when they want something and then they take off when they're finished. No. Jesus is the focus. He who believes in me, he who has his focus on me, he who makes me to be the object of the faith, he who makes me to be the center of the life. Who makes me to be the purpose for living? Everything he does is only the icing on the cake. He's the cake. Once Martha' focus shifts, she was able to make this magnificent confession. It's a threefold confession. First, you are the Christ. Secondly, you are the Son of God. Thirdly, you are the one that had been promised. For thousands of years in our Bible. What is she saying? She's saying, yes, Lord, now my focus is on your person. Yes, Lord, my trust is in you. Yes, Lord, now you are the object of my faith. Yes, Lord, you're the one and only. And yes, Lord, now you are the center of my universe. And yes, Lord, now you are the purpose for my living. I am the resurrection and the life. And here Jesus is saying three things, at least three things. He is saying that I am the giver of physical life. He is saying I am... The reviver or the restorer of the spiritual life. And he's saying, I am the insurer of eternal life. Jesus is the one who gives us physical life. Did you know that? Acts 17, 25, Paul said, He gives all men life and breath and everything else. So he's the giver of physical life. He creates us. He makes us. But secondly, He is the reviver and the restorer of our spiritual life. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came so that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Some translations said that you might have it in full. What does that mean? The Scripture answers the Scripture. Paul tells the Ephesians that every human being that has ever lived, every one of us, When we physically were born, we were born spiritually dead. Did you get that? We were not half dead, spiritually speaking. We were not partially dead, spiritually speaking. We were dead, completely dead. And then God's breath breathed upon our spirits. And what happens when that takes place? We walk up from our spiritual stupor. (laughs) We walk up. And when we walk up, we realize that we're sinners and we're heading to a Christless eternity. And so, at that moment, the Holy Spirit of God raises us up spiritually. We get resurrected. And then He breathes a new life in us. Then God, in the person of His Holy Spirit, comes in to dwell in us so that we may stay alive. (laughs) He doesn't just come in and breathe on us and say, Okay, you're on your own, babe. No. Just like Lazarus, who was dead and beginning to stink, every one of us stunk in the nostrils of God. Spiritually speaking, that is. I know that I stunk in the nostrils of God. I know that. I know that when I shook my fist at God and said, I want to go my way, do my thing, I know I stunk. In his nostrils. But his spirit came into me one day and said, Michael, rise from your spiritual stupor and death. <laughs> Praise God. And I come alive. Recognize my sin, that I needed repentance. I need to receive his forgiveness. I need to bring my sins and leave them with Jesus that may be forgiven for eternity. Christ is the only one who gives physical life. Christ is the only one who revives or restores spiritual life. And thirdly, Christ is the only one who ensures our eternal life. The word resurrection, particularly in verse 25, John 11:25, 25, where it says, I am the resurrection and the life. The word literally means that He is the one who causes us to stand up. Literally. The one who causes us to stand up. How did this happen? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 1 says, You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Spiritually speaking, we were flat on our back. (laughs) But then He caused us to rise spiritually and get up. Some of you probably are asking, How did we get there? How we ended up being born spiritually dead? Well, the answer is simpler than you think. God said to Adam, Adam, the day you disobey me, the day you go against my will, the day you revile my command, you'll be spiritually dead. He disobeyed God, he became spiritually dead. He was physically alive, he was emotionally alive, he was rationally alive, continued to live, but spiritually dead that created a set of DNA inside of him that he transmitted to every one of us, that we're born with that sin. We're born spiritually dead. David said in Psalm 51.5, I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. When you meet a person who's highly educated, he may have had a string of degrees after him or her, They are sophisticated and cultured. They are refined. They're charming and debonair. And you look and say, wow, look at this. God looks at them and said, he's spiritually dead. Dead, dead, dead. And that's why Jesus said to Martha, whoever believes in me shall not die. Shall not die. Physically will die. But spiritually, we will never die. We will live forever. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15 is a magnificent chapter. I hope that you read it when you go home. He tells us that when we go and be with the Lord, we receive a body, glorified body, like Jesus' body after the resurrection. Years ago, I read the story about Michael Faraday. Do you remember that name? We studied his scientific principles in high school. The Faraday, Michael Faraday was a godly man. He loved the Lord. He truly walked with God. Great scientist. Loved the Lord Jesus. He was dying. And one of his scientist friends came to visit him. They said, Michael, uh, what are your speculations now about life after death? He said, speculations? <laughs> speculations? I know nothing about speculations. I am resting... On a certainty, I know my Redeemer lives, and because He lives, I will live also. That is a true honest scientist. Not the jokers we have these days. Christ is the only giver of physical life. Christ is the only reviver of our dead spirits. Christ is the only insurer and preserver of eternal life. To be sure, Adam, of course, failed and lost it, spiritually speaking, and transmitted that to us. But Jesus succeeded, and therefore, He made it possible for us to know Him and love Him and that we're going to live with Him forever. John fourteen nineteen, Jesus said, because I live, you also what? You know... During ancient Egyptian times, when a rich man dies, they have a big funeral, then they have a big banquet. Then the servant of that rich man will have a coffin in the form of a box. And inside that coffin, there is a, a wooden image of the corpse, painted, that resembles the dead person. And these servants will walk around at the banquet, to every one of the guests. And they will say to every one of those mourners, gaze here and drink and be merry, for when you die, such you shall be. Beloved, this is what a Christless humanity teaches. But because Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life, we know we're going to live with Him forever. And a few days later after he made this statement, only a few days later, he rose out of the grave to prove that he is the resurrection and the life. And that is why we can be absolutely certain when we cross to the other shore, we will be more alive than we've ever lived before. I love what a Messianic Jew by the name of Joseph Flax had written. This man loved the Lord Jesus, his Messiah. And he wrote a small, simple document before he died with only one blank space. And he asked his family to fill in that blank space the day he goes to glory. So this is how it read. August 14, 1940. Triumphant through grace. This is to announce that I have moved out of the old mud house 2 Corinthians 5.1 Arrived in glory land instantly in the charge of angelic escort. Luke 16.22 Absence from the body at home with the Lord. 2 Corinthians five, six. I find as foretold, Psalm 16.11 In His presence, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. We'll be looking for you. We'll be looking for you on the way up at the redemption of the body, Romans 8, 23. Father, we cannot claim anything, for it is by your grace you breathed in our dead spirits new life, and you assured us of eternity with you. And so, Father, I pray that for those of us who claim to know you and yet clinging so much to this earthly pilgrims as if it's going to be forever remind us that our citizenship is in heaven not here and help us to live every waking moment in this life with preparation for the day to come for those who don't know you may this be the day in which they begin the process of you waking them up, raising them up to know you and love you and serve you for you are a gracious God and we love you in Jesus name